Thank you, ladies. Just said the words, oh, let his glory shine when life grows dim. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Psalm, chapter 13. I feel at a loss and that the last two weeks, the chapel speakers have used candy as an illustration in their sermon. And I tried my best from the Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and I could not find an illustration for candy. Of course, the candy they gave were little bite-sized Halloween candies. But I don't want to be undone. <laughs> so, Teddy, I usually make fun of you, and I want to, I want to heal, okay? So this is a gift for you. <laughs> and you can share it with the one that sits next to you when she finds a good guy. In the margin of my other Bible, I have written the date, June 4th, 2012, next to Psalm 13. I did not take the time to look back at my calendars for the year of 2012, so I cannot tell you why I wrote that there. Other than I know that dates do not get marked in my Bible, unless it's it's a low valley or a high mountain. And Psalm 13 comes across very much as a low valley. There are four questions in this short chapter, and they say so much about the transparency of the writer, which is what the Psalms is about. It speaks to the common human experience witnessed in it. Question one is, how long will God not look at me? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Question number two is, how long must I look at myself? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? Question number three is, how long must I look at my enemy? How long shall, verse two, the last part, how long shall my enemy be exalted above me? Question number four is, how long is chapel service going to be? It's found in the Hebrew nuances of verse three. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. (laughs) Graham Graham Scroggie says this of this chapter. The experience expressed in this psalm is intensely human. John Phillips refers to this chapter as a psalm of human extremity. Kirkpatrick says this of this psalm. It is a place of darkness and despair. Now, I say all this by way of introduction for us to realize that this psalm is very, very personal. And if for some reason Christians somehow think, or have been preached to to think, that Christians don't have low points, Psalm 13 is a disclaimer to that. There's no particular context that is given within this chapter, which means that it can be taken by all people of all eras who struggle with life. For the sake of grasping the pulse of this chapter, I'm going to divide it into two segments. The first one is the perspective of being ruled by feelings. 
The second one is the perspective of being ruled by faith. So follows I read. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? Can a human even comprehend what forever is? Does he have the right to say that to God? How long shall I take counsel in my soul as if that is the solution to problems? Having soured my heart daily, how long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, turning point of the chapter. Lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Can you even comprehend under this first point the feelings behind these questions? Can you even comprehend a person asking such questions of God? Listen carefully. That's one of the blessings of the Psalms. And that is that it records humans asking very difficult questions of God. In fact, it records humans demanding of God to do things that you and I would say that's not right. It speaks vividly about a God, but it also speaks transparently about the troubles that God followers have. So under this first point, the feelings behind the question, I'm going to split it up into two segments, sub-thoughts. One is the perspective of lost faith. Is verse 1 possible? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? The perspective of lost faith. Can God ever not look at his children? Can God forget forever? Can God turn his face against his people? Listen carefully. When the child of God is brought to the place of asking how long, how long, how long, and then insinuate that it's becoming a forever experience, he's allowed a new reality to take over his heart. I quote a commentary that says, When we have such strong feelings, then the feelings create their own reality. I'm going to say that one again because it's so important. When we have such strong feelings as verse 1, then those feelings create their own reality. What is not possible now, the mind is obsessed with. What could never happen biblically, the mind now must process. Our minds create all sorts of new realities that are so anti-God. And we see them to be realities. Our minds create so many realities that have no basis for logical thinking. And here's a human being who's going through a real experience, but he's dealing with things that cannot, are not, never will be real. But his mind is convinced him that they are. Have you not thought things to be real? That you know cannot, could never be real. You haven't raised children yet. But it's amazing the amounts of monsters that children find in our homes. Usually around bedtime. We had one of our daughters 
that was sure that her bedroom door transformed into a monster every night. And that that monster transferred himself from the door to under her bed. And many a night, I would go in and crawl under the bed with the monster to show her there was no such thing, to which she still would say, Dad, don't leave. Her mind was obsessed with a reality that the circumstances had created. One commentator says this of this reality or this lack of reality found in verse 1. Feelings, not logic, shape the sentence, combining two questions into a self-contradictory expression. The feelings behind the questions. Number one, the perspective of lost faith. When that happens, another two sub-thoughts, okay? Two things happen when these dark times occur. Number one, we become convinced that we will need to be the solution to our dilemma, says verse 2, the first part. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Question, has any human ever solved a life problem of their own? But that's where this guy is. So two things happen. We become, we become convinced that we will need to be the solution to our dilemma. There's a man by the name of King Saul who was out of the battlefield waiting for God and a new reality came into his mind as if to say you will be destroyed unless you offer God a sacrifice. But he knew he was not supposed to unless Samuel came and did it because that was not his office. And yet he became so convinced of this reality that he felt he was the one that had to solve it. And by him thinking he was the one to have a solve it, he's the one that lost his kingdom. Be careful of thinking of yourself as the solution to life's problems. Life's going to move on way, way after you're gone. Number two thing that happens to believers who are living through dark times, we become convinced that certain, dis- certain destruction is inevitable. Verse 2, the last part. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? I become convinced that we need to be the solution to our dilemma. I become convinced that certain destruction is inevitable. As if to say, exam week falls on project due day. And we live all semester that way. We become convinced that we need to be the solution to the problem. Or we become convinced that certain destruction is inevitable. And Satan has us exactly where he wants us to be, a believer with a lost God. And and only a hope in self. One of the most dangerous places for the soul of a believer is that place where you think God has forgotten you, isn't looking at you, and sadly the truth of the matter is that our minds can think the worst things of the most wonderful God. first half of the psalm is the feelings behind these questions. They come as a result of loss of faith. But I think secondly, they come as a presumption of lost humility. Now let me just take this for a bit and see if there's not some thought process to it. What right do I have to ask God how long? Whose journey is it? Who's the driver? Where's the destination? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? 
If indeed that was happening, it would have been happened, happening intentionally, which means that God didn't have to answer him. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long? How long? How long? How long? I understand the transparency in this question. I've already, I think, dealt with it by way of context. But is it not presumptuous for the created to ask the Creator, how long as if He should loan me His clock? Does not this presume that the trips of life would go much better if we knew? Think with me if these questions of how long have not surfaced in your mind. How long, God, before you give me a friend? How long, God, will I be single? How long, God, before you heal me? How long before my dad gets saved? How long before my mom gets saved? How long before I find fulfillment in life? How long am I going to live? How long will I have my health? How long before I get rid of this bitterness? How long before I can move beyond this scarred area of my life? How long before I can sense a real sense of assurance of salvation? How long? How long? How long? Turn one book back to your left, please, to the book of Job. The psalmist felt that, Job 23, please. The psalmist felt that God had forgotten him, God was not looking at him, and he had to look at himself and his own enemies. Job 23, verse 8. Now, I don't have to introduce the account of Job. We understand the, the luggage, the background. Job says in verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on my right hand, and that I cannot see him. Uh, don't look at the next verse. Just like the psalmist. God, you have become invisible to me during a time of life when the low spots are very visible. At a time when I would think, God, that you would know where I'm at and that I would need this. Verse 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. Contradiction to Psalm 13. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Do you know that in order to refine gold, it takes over a thousand degrees Celsius? And that's just the first wave to begin collecting the slag. And depending on what carat gold you want, you refire and refire and refire and take off more slag. Job was sensing that. The psalmist was not. Job was saying, I don't have the answers to the heat of life. But at least I comprehend that, God, you're behind it. The psalmist says, I don't understand anything about what you're doing, God. And his heart failed. Back to Psalm 13, please. To ask how long is very human. But it presumes to have the right to dictate the intensity of the growth process that God gives us. How long is human? But it presumes to have the right to dictate the length of the growth process. How long is a human experience? But it presumes to know about the forevers of life, which we have no comprehension. 
Humans don't handle the how long processes of life, especially in a day and age when we can call a person on the phone and get an immediate answer. Do you know that when I was your age, I could dial a phone and get a busy signal? You don't know what that is. Because we have call waiting, which means now that your call can supersede the call to the person and they could put you on hold and now talk to you and put the original person on hold. How wonderful. In fact, there's not much that we have to wait. How long? Did you know that everything about life has a weight factor? So I was driving in the public at the age of 13. I had to wait to get my driver's license until I was 16. Some of you are getting married this Christmas break or doing summer break. So I did some homework for you. Are you aware that the weight factor of weddings is such a marketable commodity that you can actually buy calendars called Wedding Calendar Countdown? I went to Amazon yesterday, and sure enough, you can get one for $19.99. There was another one for $29.99, which made the year go faster. <laughs> for those of you that didn't get it, this was a blonde thing. And you're saying, you should not make fun of blondes. Listen, I was blonde till I came to teach here, okay? <laughs> Have you ever been disappointed with God because He didn't do what you thought needed to be done when you thought would be most timely? When your student sight has said providentially everything is lined up for my prayer to be answered today, and it wasn't. And God, you must not be looking. Or you must be looking the other way. Is this going to be a forever proposition in our relationship with each other? All these how longs kinds of questions presume that I have the right to ask them. And by the simple fact that I've identified my God as having forgotten me, I then find myself asking unanswerable questions. Isn't it amazing a family can spend the entire year saving for vacation only to get in the car and the kids ask two hours down the trip the question, how long, Dad? I find the feelings to the questions, the last part, which is much shorter, I find the faith behind the answers, verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully. Question, question, question. Has any circumstance changed from the bombardment of feelings in the first section of the Psalms to the reality of faith in the second part of the Psalms? Saul's not dead. Saul's still very much alive. God has not arrived on a white horse. God has not sent a refreshed army to David. The embargo has not been lifted. David has not found a miracle-working doctor. David has not won the lottery. He is still separated from his family. He is still not attending public worship. 
Are you listening? Nothing, 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 nothing has changed. Except where he's looking. Rather than looking at the immediate, he chooses to look in the past. Where God had proven himself faithful during the other times of valley living. Notice the clear indication of this. See the visual evidence of how the how-longs dissipate when you get to verse 5. But I, it's connected to the word thy. My is connected again to the word thy in verse 5. I is connected to the words the Lord. He is connected with me. That's all that's changed. In the first half of the chapter, God is placed in a distant category of having to answer the questions. Whereas in the latter part of the chapter, He and God are in total association as life unfolds and He begins to remember all the times where God was ever so real. The title of the sermon is a rather casual title. It just is simply, hey, what are you looking at? Notice in transition, chapter 13, verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And now it's, O Lord my God. How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? And he gets to verse 3, and he says, Lest I sleep the sleep of death. There are various ways of looking at this, but in literalism it's, I need some enlightenment, or literally, I need the night to be over. What a human expression. As we watched the hurricane come into the south sector of our nation, over and over I heard people say, we couldn't wait for the daylight. We couldn't wait, though we would though we knew we'd see massive destruction, to face this and not be able to see. What happened to David is that David took his errant emotions of verses 1 and 2, ran them through the grid of God's word of verse 5, and came out in the other end singing in verse 6. I can live in my own created reality, and if my present reality does not bode well for me, I can, I can take my reality back to when there was a biblical reality. But the most dangerous place to be in the valley is verse 1, where a new reality takes over my heart. Nothing had changed from the first half of the chapter to the second half of the chapter. So when life makes a believer create new realities, he's in no better place than Eve was when she was asked, hath God said? And shifted to, God hath not said. So what's your reality? Which means if you've heard much preaching, you know that I'm 
winding down. What's your new reality? How long? God, before my life changes. How long before home life gets better? How long before this one that I've prayed for for decades gets saved? How long before my health? How long before this wayward child of mine? How long? Hey, what you looking at? Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing, proposing, dictating this chapter into the Psalms. Allowing this man to be transparent and reveal a humanity that we live with. I pray for the hearts of our student body, our faculty, our staff who may be there today who become obsessed with the God who answers prayers with the demand of how long. I pray that our faith would increase, that if need be, that we would look back and see those times when your faithfulness was so evident to our hearts. And we can actually sing about the wonderful God that sees us all the time, has never turned his back on us, and loves us. We ask this in your name. Amen.